This is a podcast brought to you by Sanctuary Recovery Centers. Our mission is to break the stigma surrounding addiction to empower others to live addiction-free lives, providing hope to those who suffer from addiction and offer continued care and true healing. So this episode is special to me and I hope special to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about relationships. And when I think about relationships and I was, you know, talking with the team and, and talking to the creative director behind the podcast, and we're thinking, what can we do with relationships? And there was no better person to have on than my own very wife. So I want to welcome Ashley to the show. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Sound like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right. I'm happy to be here. You're happy to be here. And so that's what's important, man, is to get a true relationship, one that's been through trials and tribulations, because life's a series of relationships. Absolutely. And so when it's a series of relationships, and if you look at the history, uh, I'm incapable of having any sort of meaningful relationship because I'm an, uh, first off, I'm a recovering alcoholic addict, and you are a, if you will, normie. <laughs> That's what they say. That's what they say. And it checks out. I mean, you're a normie. I mean, to the fullest. I guess so, yeah. I mean, I re- distinctly remember, we've been married for 12 years, first off. We've been through a lot. But I distinctly remember when I first met you back in 2009 and we were talking about however the subject came up and you were, t- you sounded like Bill Clinton. I did not inhale. <laughs> she didn't even know how to in- inhale or even smoke. I don't know how to smoke weed properly. That's what you told me. I don't know how to smoke anything. You don't? No. Swisher sweets? Nothing. When she gets turned up, she wants a swisher sweet. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and so... When I think about all that, you know, we talk about codependency, we talk about meaningful relationships, you know, the groups that I have the privilege of being a part of, we do a lot of relationship stuff because life, I mean, life's a series of relationships, whether it's work relationships, um, friendships, family relationships, intimate sexual relationships with your significant other. And there's always this miscon. When you hear the word, Ashley, when you hear the word intimacy, what does that make you think of? I always think of you, but not... Aside from that, it's really building something meaningful, some type of connection with someone else. And so, yeah. And so typically previous to the work that I put in, when I hear intimacy, I hear like, I just immediately think sexual, right? But here's the definition of intimacy. Intimacy is the genuine sharing of one's true self with another. We develop intimacy in in so many different various relationships in our life. But today's episode is really about our relationship, how we got to be where we are. Because one thing I know today is there's three different types of relationships. There's codependency, which we're familiar with. We've been there, done that. Counter to, so codependency is where we're all, I think everyone's familiar with that. We're completely wrapped up and consumed. I'm only good if you're good. And especially, which we'll talk about more in the episode, the codependency that you experience with me is constantly, because I'm like a grown ass child in my addiction. <laughs> we got two kids. Yes. Plus me, how much is two plus one equals what? Oh, God, too much. Too much. Too much. Just do some prison math real quick. Two plus one? Three. Three. There you go. There you, you got go. it. Okay. And so, you know, when you're completely consumed with worrying about me, stressing about me, putting my needs ahead of your own needs, loss of your own self-care, and that's the codependency that comes from a loved one of an addict, right? And then we have what's called counterdependence, which is like extreme isolation, which you don't hear very much about it. And a good example of counterdependence would be like... Uh, living off the grid in Alaska, not even having a dog. Right. And almost addicts can relate to that in their addiction because we almost become counterdependent. I want to get high. I want to leave me alone. Turn my phone off. Well, you put a tracking app on my phone. I did. So you didn't really have that option. She put a tracking app on my phone. I had to do what I had to do. I'm like, she doesn't even have a car. How does she know I'm at the 7-Eleven in Tempe? You did that. I did that. 
How long? How many days did it take me to figure that out? Too long. It took like five days. Yeah, it took quite. I a was long. tripping. I, I had, wasn't even doing meth, and I was paranoid. I had some data. <laughs> you gave me psychosis from that calculator you hid the <laughs> tracking app on. Technology. Yeah, I mean, you're all, you're a borderline hacker. There you go. I mean, not like dark web Silk Road hacker. Like stuff you need hacker. Yes, yeah, stuff you need hacker. And so I almost become counter dependent where I, I don't want to be around anyone. I just want to get high, peace, preferably a laptop so I can look up weird <laughs> stuff on it. I mean, I mean, who knows, okay? It just depends how I'm feeling on that day. But what we're all trying to establish is what's called interdependency. And interdependency is a healthy relationship. That's based off five characteristics. Joint action, shared decisions, open communication, genuine concern for one another, and ultimately honesty. But it's a two-way street. And so we got, we do have an interdependent relationship. Now. Now. Yes. Why do you say it like that? Because it took us a long time to get here. How long? <laughs> I mean, at least seven years. Yeah. <laughs> it did take <laughs> yeah. a long time to get yeah. there, but we got there. We did. And the crazy part, because we're going to go back to the beginning of our story, because in the beginning of our story, when I first met you in 2009, when we first met, we were co-workers, and we almost had an interdependent relationship in the beginning. But what happened? I mean, you wanted to take me on some ride. Oh, I, I took mean, you. some adventures mm, for sure. Thank you for considering my addiction an adventure. It was. It, thank God. You know what? It was a test, right? Sure. That's another word for it. You passed. Thank you. Yeah. In case you want to know. I've been waiting to hear that. You, def passed. you definitely passed. So that's a good thing. But we had that in the beginning. And then from my addiction, because, you know, in addiction, we're so selfish, dishonest. We only care about ourselves. So there's no communication, open communication. All I do is lie to you. Shared decisions. The only decision is I need what I need and I want it now. Right. Like that commercial. It's my money and I want it now. <laughs> right. right. Well, it's your money and I want it now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, right. that's really what it was. That's exactly what it was. And so we got so far removed from that. But somehow through it all, we were able to have the most meaningful relationship today and it's just something that I think that hopefully others can relate to or could at least be some sort of motivation or some sort of hope for them that if we if everything that we've been through then they can get through it as well so we met back in 2009 where were we working at we were working at an auto glass company selling auto glass we were yes and so you worked in the front office mm -hmm. and I was running the sales crew yes what was that like that do you remember was... hold on hold on do you remember what I was wearing the first day you laid eyes on me I do I do. You're wearing a yellow polo and khakis. Yellow always looks good on me. It does. Yeah, and I have my Oakleys on. Yep. Yeah. And so the, the crazy part about it all is, is we both were in different relationships at the time. Mm -hmm. I actually just got out of my first prison sentence in 2009, right? Yep. So, you know, maybe you might not be an addict, but you got a little crazy in you. I do. Here's, I do. The, thing that I, here's the thing that I do know to be true. <laughs> Here's, here's the thing that I know to be true. Every guy wants a good girl who would be bad just for him. Oh God. And every girl wants a, a bad guy that'll be good just for her. Is that, that true? Is true? That's true. It checks out. I think I saw a challenge in you. you. Maybe you did, but you have that bumper sticker on the car right now. <laughs> No? No, I'm just kidding. She doesn't. No, I do not. <laughs> you know, you do not. Okay. And so we were in different relationships and, you know, I was, you know, I was, if you looked at, I mean, what did you think about my actions? I mean, I was doing some absurd things at that company. Every time I heard something you were up to, it was just another disappointment. It was just like, oh man, he's so nice. He's so good looking, but he does this. I was like, man. 
But the but the prison thing didn't scare you. No, it didn't. Red flag. I, I didn't think as long as he doesn't plan on going back, that really isn't my problem. So I wasn't trying to judge you off of somewhere yeah, you had We been never plan to go back. Right. I didn't Some know. Some people do. I didn't know that. I didn't know the nature of why you went or anything about it, but as long as you weren't trying to get into that type of trouble again, I figured it wasn't anything that I needed to be concerned with. And so you weren't really concerned with that and you didn't judge me and we were we started a friendship and we started to talk and really our friendship was really over the crappy relationships that we were right. both in. And so we kind of bonded over that. Yes. And so, at, you know, for another six months, we worked together. We saw each other every day. I ran the sales crew and I would take all my guy. We were door knocking and I'd be mm-hmm. gone all the time, but my morning meetings would be there constantly. And I would see you every morning and we'd have a few minutes to talk. You'd make me espresso. <laughs> and we shared coffee every day. Yeah. Just, you know, going over what we wanted. You were putting the moves on me. I was not. I was not. One of the characteristics of interdependency is honesty. I want you to be honest oh right my, now. You should be honest. Okay, I'm trying my best. Okay. I'm going to weaponize the program for a second. Progress, not for perfection, baby. Okay. Okay, I'll weaponize it real quick. I hate when people do that. Progress, <laughs> not perfection. But, you know, and so ultimately, uh, and it, it comes April 14th, 2010. Yes. You sent me a text message. I did. What did that text message say? It said something to the effect of, if you were so unhappy, why wouldn't you give me a chance, someone that would be um, all the things that you're looking for? And it was really supposed to be some open-ended question that just kind of got in your head like, hey, look this direction. Yeah, and so what I heard was, will you be good just for me? I mean, that's what I heard. I mean, I don't know if that's, you know, that's why I asked you to relay the text message. And so that, I remember where I was at. I was in a neighborhood in Avondale and I was door knocking and I got that text message and I sat down on that curb and we, we had blackberries, right? Yeah. And we were, you know, we were BBMing back and forth for the rest of the day. I didn't knock a single door, didn't sell a single deal. And uh, that really started it, you know, and I went into instant retirement. Is that true? I mean, it better be. It better be true. It better be true. (laughs) And and you know what? I still tell you to this day, you know, because if I look over my previous history, I've never been able to be in a serious, committed relationship in any way, shape, or form. And it still shocks me to this day that I'm able to do that. I was gone for a few years. I understand that. But it just, you know, when you know, you know, right? And so what I understand is that love is an action word, right? And and so, you know, I didn't, it took me a really a long time to really actually realize that, you know, when I look over all these other relationships, it's like, you know, basically my close with all the other girls was I love you. You know, I I love you. (laughs) Move in with me. Let me do whatever I want. Right. It's your money and I want it now. Right. (laughs) And so we started this relationship. And um, what was that like? Do you remember what that was like in the beginning? Um, It was a lot of, we were young, so we were going out. We always had something to do. We had um, company things to do. So we were going to dinners and parties and, you know, a lot of events and things. So we were always busy. Um, You were running a whole sales team, so it was a lot of late nights. But we started bonding just hanging out when it was our time it was our time a lot of late night talking i think we had a really solid foundation in the beginning um when you started to not be healthy i think i got a little confused as to what i was seeing but i think overall we had a really solid foundation because we had such a good friendship and we did and so in the beginning though you were inviting me over for netflix and chilling all the time you wish I was that's Im- why we have such a good foundation because we did not you know i was inviting you over yes yes sir well i work late hours 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Mastro's isn't open at 11.30 at night, lest I would have taken you there. Right. Okay, see, okay, good. I'm glad we can come to terms with that. Okay. But that, and then that's what ended up happening. <clears throat> I was inviting you over. You weren't come over. You're like, I already see how you act. Yeah. You think I'm going to be on their notch on your belt? And I'm like, you were my friend. I knew exactly what you were doing. Yeah, you knew exactly what I was up to. And no good for the most part. And so, you know, you wouldn't come over to my house. You wouldn't even, you didn't even want to let me know where you lived. You didn't want me to call you after a certain time at night. Everything I said to you, you said I was lying to you. And you'd say that to all the girls. Right. Um, You, you know, we weren't even intimate for months. Right. To the point where I almost tapped out. I was like, this is fucking too much for me. Right. I don't think I, I don't think I can do this. I've never had to do this before. Right. And I'm not a fan of it. And it's costing me too much money taking you out to dinner. Well, actually, I'm going to get honest here for a second. You actually paid for our first date. Yes. My car got declined. <laughs> yeah, that P.F. Chang shout out. And, uh, you know, and so we, we and that's and that's the best thing. I look over all these other relationships and, you know, one thing I know about relationships, A, no one likes to be told anything about the current one they're in. B, there's no set place on time and how and how it all starts. Some people could hook up on the first night, meet at a club and it's all good and they're married forever. Some people want to take it slow and become friends and then con- connect on a physical level. And that's what we did and it worked. So that's my experience. So after a, a period of time, when we got into a serious relationship, we moved in together, you were working, and, and also safe to say, just so everyone gets a full scope of the picture, we weren't supposed to be dating at the company. So we were like undercover for a while. A while. Yeah. And so that was kind of cool. Kind of. And then you try to, you know, rush in the bathroom when I would go in there. Right. No, that didn't happen. No. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Not. I'm just kidding. And so ultimately, you know, we start our relationship and we move in together and, you know, it's healthy and everything's good. But at some point, I fall victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline qualifies him to drink like other men. I thought because I was sober for four years at this point, didn't change anything, didn't do anything different, didn't work a program of recovery, you know, found push-ups in prison and thought that that was going to, you know, everything was going to be great now because I do push-ups, right? And so ultimately I thought I could drink again and that started the downward spiral for me. And you didn't really know. I mean, I was in the bathroom a lot, a lot, a lot. With a the, lot, a lot, yeah. And you'd always be wondering what's going on. I hear a lighter in there. Why is the sink, the shower and the toilet flushing back to back? Why does it smell like burnt barbecue sauce in here? Yeah. And I will say she's the sweetest, you know, because I would tell her I got stomach problems. So you get me stomach medication. You get you 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 get you run the bath water for me, yeah. and you were trying to take care of me. But the truth was, I was on opiates, right? And so, you know, now looking forward during this period of time, you know, we have I go to rehab, we have a baby, we have a ten year old daughter. What's her name? Isabella. Okay, just checking. I'm just making sure my little clone. (laughs) All right. And so we have a baby and I get sober again. We had when we have the baby, I'm sober. We got I start another sales company, which I'm running and owning and things are going good for a period of time. And then I relapse again and I start buying and selling and stolen property. And I'm telling you a lie, which is semi true about how it was all going down. And you're supportive and you're doing all these things for me, but you're still confused as to why I have my own business, but we're broke all the time. Right. Right. And, we didn't, and why I'm gone all the time. I'm be right back. I'm never coming back um, for hours upon hours. And you're worried sick about me and you're just concerned and you're reading books. What books did you read? Oh, the first time we had to put you in Crossroads, I remember going to Bookman's, the used bookstore, and I got like a medical textbook about addiction 
And I had to really understand that it was a physical addiction, that all of the medication and pills you were taking, your body had become physically dependent on it. So I had to kind of detach the feeling and all of the resentment I had towards you and understand that it was something that you were physically going through. That's why you were sick. That's why you were making all these horrible decisions is because you were trying to get well. So I had to really learn it in a book, like actual credible source for me to understand that this wasn't the person that I knew. And you were reading relationship books. All kinds of stuff. I had to really find a source to where I understood what was going on because I was so lost. I couldn't relate myself. So I didn't have anyone that had been through it. I couldn't talk to my parents about it. I couldn't talk to anyone. I was so embarrassed because I was so lost in my own relationship. I had a new baby. Um, Everything was so confusing. So that was kind of what I went to to understand what was going on and what I should do. And that's kind of where I've always gone through all of the stuff that we've been through is trying to get some type of credible source to really understand because so many other people have gone through it and there's so much information out there to understand what goes on mentally, physically with addiction and all of how it affects everything. So I really had to try and put myself in your position and understand what you were going through to really make sense of it all. And you really did that. I mean, I know I would come home after being out trying to, you know, get high all day long and you'd be watching The Secret, making us a vision board. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you had the big book, which, you know, I wasn't a fan of just because right. it wasn't my time yet, which yeah. is my path of recovery. And so, you know, you had started to lay that foundation and really put that work in. And then ultimately one day I come home like I do from work and I uh, check the mail and I got a a grand jury indictment for trafficking stolen property, class two felony, an organized retail theft, F4, organized retail theft, F4, three cases, previous criminal history, already did a three and a half year prison sentence. And I remember I came in after checking the mail that day and I was like, you're like, are you okay? I think I waited a couple days to tell you. You said you had it a couple days. Yeah, and you were just like, what's wrong? And I'm like, where do I start? Like, I'm going back to prison. And I remember that day I told you, I was like, I'm going back to prison for five years minimum. And what did you say? You know, I didn't believe you because I was like, how do you know what's going to happen? I had to be the positive one. I had to say, you know what? You don't know. We'll fight it. It's going to be fine. You don't know what's going to happen. You were just, what were you doing? Shoplifting? It's going to be fine. Yeah, not a big deal. Not a big deal. Um, Let's say you go away for a little bit. Um, Bella's going to be like, you know, six or seven. It'll be fine. You were were really supportive. I I think I was in shock. I had to really kind of lessen the blow for you because you just looked like you'd seen a ghost. Yeah, I did see a ghost. And that ghost was the sentencing chart that they give you. And I knew I was category three. And I knew even the chance of me getting five years was would be a miracle and again i had no idea i didn't know i i really didn't think you were gonna go away at I all i know you didn't yeah so i was like no this is this is yeah, fine. no big deal we'll get a couple we're, lawyers over to yeah, the house we're gonna get a lawyer we're gonna you know plan it all out i'm sure we have enough evidence it's gonna be fine we'll be on probation you're a dad you yeah. can't do that <laughs> <laughs> you have a kid you yeah. can't do that yeah they're not gonna it's do gonna that be fine And so ultimately, you know, because I don't have any sort of tools at this time and I haven't worked a path of recovery and I don't understand, uh, you know, how to handle things in a healthy way, because recovery is all about identifying a problem, getting to the solution. But before I have, you know, tools in my tool belt, in my toolbox and understand that now it's my job, my part is to get to the solution. All I know in addiction is problem, 
contribute to the problem, contribute to the problem. And that is exactly what I did. Yes, you did. So I had an overdose on 4th of July. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I don't remember that. That was the worst day of my life. Yeah. That was hands down the worst day ever. You were so out of it. You were put in intensive care. I didn't even know that you could be assigned like a security guard or a bodyguard in the hospital. But if you're like out of control, you're ripping out your, you know, your IV and all that, they will assign you someone so that you remain calm. So we got one of those because he didn't want to cooperate. So it was me and this nice lady that would. She was a very nice lady. Well, you weren't behaving, so she wasn't nice to you. Oh. But we were assigned someone and she just wanted to make sure that you weren't yelling or, you know, being crazy. And that just made the whole thing more emotional and. It was really, really tough. It was really tough. You were not conscious for a couple of days. They had you hooked up to all kinds of machines in the ICU. And I really didn't even know how you got to that point. Like what was bothering you so much or all these emotions you were going through to put yourself through that. So while I'm sitting next to you in the bed, I'm like, what is the future going to look like when we leave this place? What's going to happen? Well, what happened when we left there? I relapsed again. Everything. everything, (laughs) It just got worse. Yeah, it got worse. And and you were in such emotional just despair that I knew that you were just trying to escape something. But I couldn't help you. And so I was on a $35,000 cash bond. I was on OR on one case. I was pretrial services on another case. They're trying to give me a whole bunch of years in prison. And now I'm physically dependent to opiates again. And here we are. And so ultimately what ends up happening is the U.S. Marshals, I mean, they're good. Yeah. I mean, do you think they're better than Dog the Bounty Hunter? I mean, they caught you pretty yeah. quick, so... I mean, and I'm pretty slick. Yeah, at least you thought you were. Yeah, I wasn't very yeah, slick. You weren't, you weren't very good. No, I wasn't very good. But anyway, so I ended up getting caught by the marshals. They ended up revoking my bond. They took me to county jail, and in 2014, I landed in county jail, and I was in county jail for a year, max custody most of that time, video visits we would have, but before I, I went to max custody... Um, for some other, uh, you know, outside related, I got a couple of assault charges while I was in there and, uh, ended up getting bumped up. But you used to come down there to see me for 30 minutes to Maricopa County, Durango. I was at, what was that like in visitation coming to see me waiting three hours? You know, do you remember what that was like? I will never forget just the, the anxiety I would feel having to wait in line. It would be three to four hours. You have to wait in line outside before you're even in the building, with all these other mothers and wives and they're bringing small children in there and they just treat you like garbage. They're searching you. If you have anything wrong with your clothing, you got to leave and come back. And it was just so just, just sad. It was traumatic. Um, waiting all that time in line yeah. just for 30 minutes, it would just wipe me out the whole day. And I would just get through the whole week and then have to do it again and have to do it again. And we did that for about a year and a half. About a year. Yeah. Yeah, About a year. And, um, you know, hard, it was really, really hard. And you know, when people say I'm an addict and I'm only hurting myself, that is the farthest from the truth. And, and, you know, until we're on the other side of it and I've had one experience since I've been home and in recovery and made this new change where there's a personal close, very, very, very close individual to me or I was on the other end of it, the loving, supporting family member who was trying to get them into treatment and seeing their insanity and supporting him through that, you know, because I can speculate on what that was like for you and for my mom and for the people who've been through this for so long, but it, I'll never know. All I'm doing is calling you from the pod like, hey, you come today 
Did you put that money on my books? Let me talk to my daughter. What are you doing? Who's that in the background? Sancho? No, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> but that's really what, I mean, those are all the phone calls that you hear all day long. Yeah. You know, and so we never under really understand. And then they all of a sudden they don't show up and you're like, oh, that, you know, and we're all salty about it. I've never not showed up. No, that is true. You've never not shown up. That is a very, that is a fact. And so ultimately when it's all said and done and during that county time, I got an eight year prison sentence. Yes. Do you remember what that was like that day for when I got sentenced? Probably the second worst day, aside from your your overdose. Um, and I think that's during this time. I can looking back, I can tell that's really where my codependency got really bad. Is because I was so concerned about how you were dealing with all these things that I would push aside all of my responsibilities, and I would always be like, "Well, if I'm feeling this upset, I wonder what he must be feeling. I better make sure he has." all the money he needs, all of these small things because it must be so horrible to be away from your family, to be going through these things and not know the end result because you're just waiting to be sentenced. Even when you were sentenced, you were just so distraught that I was just like, I, I got to make sure he has everything he needs, trying to just make sure you were okay without addressing what I personally needed. Yeah. And so that's the telltale sign of codependency, confusion over your own identity, loss of self-care for yourself, completely consumed and preoccupied with uh, the uh, the loved one's needs and wants. And, and so ultimately it, it just gets you completely out of balance. And when you live in that for a prolonged period of time, you know, as I find recovery, which is a whole chapter in the big book called To the Wives, you would think now that because all of a sudden now I'm sober, I'm in recovery, I'm becoming a better version of myself, constantly ever evolving, that things would be great now. But the facts are, is that there's a whole chapter written because it's it's hard because of the codependency. Right. And even when you were mad, you still put money on my books. I did. I felt guilty. I felt like you were so far from home and the, the, the least I could do was to make sure you had the food. Always answered the call on the first ring. I couldn't. I couldn't not. And there was always money on the phone. I got postcards, six, seven, eight of them every single day. You put money on my books every time. Anytime I ever asked you to pass a message for somebody, you pass messages, even though you'd be mad about it, but you would do it. Yeah. You were keeping in touch with my family. You were showing up at every court date. You were talking to the lawyers. And keep in mind, I left you high and dry. You got a full-time job. You had to move in with my parents because your parents were salty about you wanting to stay stand behind me. Me, so you shunned them for me, moved in with my parents, got a job, got a degree, got a better job and, you know, progressed our family and pushed us forward for the next eight years. So ultimately I end up going to prison. I end up in Tucson complex. You came to see me every other week. You came two hour drive and you brought our daughter and I got to see you. Yes. What was that drive like back and forth from Tucson every other weekend? It was exhausting. And again, I look back and I see how, how much effort I put in to make sure our family stayed together. And it was just so emotionally draining. It was just a lot. Um, I'm glad I did it now because it kept us so close. And even if you talk to our daughter now, she doesn't see that there was ever a lapse without seeing you because she saw you every weekend. So that kept your bond close. I took her to Crossroads with me to work with a sponsee because I just had to meet with the sponsee. And we went, I asked her if she wanted anything out of the uh, vending machine. She told me she was having visitation flashbacks. Oh, God. <laughs> See, some of these things, I don't know if they're good or bad, but I mean, it happened. That was still family time for us. So we had to get through it. I, w I wanted her to have that relationship with you, regardless of the environment. And I never wanted to lie to her. 
So I always told her, Daddy's sick. He's helping people. Which is, was true. It was, it was true. So you had to work to get better. And in the process, you were helping other people. So she knew that you were doing good. She knew that you were trying to work your way back home. She got a little frustrated, you know, the last couple of years. Like, why is this taking so long? Yeah, I what see him on the on weekends and he looks fine to me. Yeah, are you coming home with us, Dad? Like, what's going on? And, you know, that so was tough. And that so, was tough, yeah. And you would always, you know, buy stuff off Amazon, leave it at the front door and say that Daddy sent it to you. She yeah. thinks I paid for everything. She thinks I bought her every backpack she ever had for school, her clothes, her shoes. You know, you did all these amazing things to keep our family together. Now, in the beginning of this eight-year prison sentence, I mean, I was... You know, I was I wasn't really working a program recovery, taking a couple college classes, not very doing very much, and then ultimately I moved to Florence. Now I'm only an hour away. You're coming every weekend to see me. There was never not money on the phone, money on my books anytime I asked. And so, you know, what I know today after working a program is I had a reservation in my recovery. My reservation was if I ever lose my visits or if my wife ever leaves me, then I'm definitely going to get high again because I don't have anything, you know, to, to live for. Right, it's over. I'm going to get high again. If I can't see them, then there's no point. I'm already doing time. And so what ends up happening is you're coming to see me every single weekend and you can't keep your hands to yourself <laughs> in visitation. I mean, you can't you can't not touch me. It's a nice spin on that. It was the other way around, yeah, wasn't absolutely. it? Yeah, I okay, all right. I, honesty, interdependency, right. honesty, characteristic. You're right. I couldn't keep my hands off of you. And we ended up losing our visits. They gave us a what kind of ticket? Do you remember? I don't know what they call it, but it was like some aggravated, escalated ticket that was apparently we they were born like 12 times. They gave us a conspiracy charge. <laughs> conspiracy to commit Ridiculous. misconduct and visitation. Class A ticket. They took our visits for a year. No phones for six months. Yep. Nine months, no visits. And three months behind the glass. So embarrassing. So embarrassing. But my point is, is that during that period of time, I had a reservation. The big book talks about it. No reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday you'll be immune to drugs and alcohol. And I had that reservation. People used to ask me on the yard all the time, you know, come on, Jay, get high with me. And I'd be like, nah, nah, I'm good. But, but there's a reservation. But if, but if I ever lose my visits or my wife ever leaves me, then best believe it's on. And so I lost my visits and it was on the reservation. The door was already open. I already had a pre-planned. And so there I am now getting high on the yard, gambling on the yard, going against everything that I said that I would never do. And just like anything, it goes good for a period of time. It goes so good till it goes so bad. Right. And it goes bad. I mean, bad, bad. And I remember distinctly, and I, I know you remember this too. I will call you and ask you to send me Western unions all across the world, Mexico, if I was, I'm hungry, Right. I'm dropping weight, I'm looking tore up, but I'm hungry, I need a food box. And you would do it, and you'd be real salty about it, but you did it every time. Yeah. And then I would tell you, I love you. And what would you say? No, you don't. And I would say what? How dare you? How dare you? What do you mean I don't <laughs> love you? Right. I was completely confused by that. Yeah. And so what I know today is love is an action word, like I said in the beginning of this episode. And my actions, quite frankly, reflect that I'm, I'm, I haven't seen my daughter. I've lost my visits. I'm still I'm getting high now in prison, but I love my daughter. I love you, but I'm calling you three times a week for your hard, hard earned money and all the expenses. Being a single mom for all these years, we're four years deep into a prison sense at this point. But I love you. I love my mom, but I'm lying to her. But I love all you guys. But I didn't connect the dots yet. I just hadn't. And so I was confused and baffled about why you would even have the audacity to say something like that to me. 
And, uh, but now I know exactly why, because my actions reflect something totally different. And so during this period of time, it goes real bad and I ultimately end up in the hole and that's when I find recovery. And so now we go on this three year journey of recovery. And I remember distinctly one time when I called you and, uh, I was all turned up on recovery. And the in the chapter to the wives, it says, don't worry, your husband's excess enthusiasm will tone down over time. But I remember I would call you, babe, I had the greatest day. I'm saving lives. I'm turned up. I'm, I had a spiritual experience today. I did the third step. I got three yeah, sponsees. They're yeah. sober. I, I mean, I'm, I'm teaching this group. Uh, I, God, it was the greatest day. And what'd you say? I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> I remember even that feeling because yeah. I think I just got home from work. I had to pick up our daughter from preschool. I was like, <clears throat> why, do, why do I care what group you're teaching? This is real life. Yeah. What are you, I have bills due. You're over there just spreading the word, huh? You're in recovery. You're helping people. You're in groups. Like, get with it. Yeah, you're I like, was not about You're it. like, okay, so that's irritated. great. It's 8 yeah. o'clock at night. I just got home from working all day. I have to feed our daughter. I have to shower our daughter, and I have to try to get some sleep. I'm right. glad you're having a spiritual experience. He was having so much fun. I was like, wow, <laughs> at least someone is. Like, sounds like, great. I was like, I'll tone it down a little bit. Yeah. I'll tone it down a little bit. But what ends up happening is, is I do go on this extreme journey that's completely transformed not only my life, but our life as a couple together today. And so for the next three years, I mean, I went full throttle in recovery. I started to include you in recovery, um, not with the excess enthusiasm where I was blowing your hair back about how amazing life is while right. you're out there just barely getting through every single day. We started seeing each other again. I got my visits back early because of recovery. Our relationship got stronger. We started reconnecting. And when I think about all this, and it was funny because I would share with you all this material that I was learning. And then what do you remember about me sharing with you all this material all on relationships and long distance relationships and in the, in the four T's of communication, truth, timing, tone, technique. I'm doing all these things, the big book stuff. What did, you, what did you say? I was still really annoyed because it sounded pretty familiar. Yeah, it sounded like, pretty familiar. I Why? I was sending him things throughout the years. And again, he, he said I was reading the big book while he was still in active addiction. So I had been trying to get him on this material and giving you little tidbits that I had learned. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. He wasn't yeah, ready for it. Yeah. And then when he got his hands on it, he's like, this is amazing. Did you know? And start spitting out little nuggets to me. I'm like, yeah, I did know that. Yeah, you, I sent that to you two years ago and you never read right. it. I'm a late bloomer. I mean. I mean, I'm a late bloomer. See, this whole time, <laughs> this whole time you thought I was just making horrible mistakes and I was just completely just a scumbag during that period of time or overall in my addiction, what you didn't realize was I was building a resume. I mean, that's what you want to call it. I mean, I was building a thick resume. I mean, I got a three-page resume. you got experience for days. Yeah, I do have, exper I do have experience for days. Yeah. And so ultimately, we start reconnecting. We start connecting on intimate level from long distance. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning about triggers. And I, I work the steps multiple times, sponsor 100 guys, teach a drug class for two years. You're starting to do more things. That whole, you know, seven years and some change that I was gone, you got a better job, a better job, a better place, a better car, a better job, more money in the bank account, it's changing our financial goals, rebuilding all of our credit. I mean, when I got out, I got out March 19th of 2021 mm -hmm. and I got out and we were in a better position than our family had ever been. And I was making 45 cents an hour. 
So that's all you, right? And so not only that, but the most important thing to me about all that is the relationship that we had, and especially with our daughter, because I was able to still, I mean, it was like I was never gone. And so when you think about that day, March 20 or March 19, 2021, when you came out to Florence West to pick me up, what was that day like? I put so much anxiety and expectation on this day that I was expecting something out of a movie. I was thinking it's going to be First just, off, you were sitting on the hood like Goodfellas. I was waiting for that moment for yeah. years. I had my Karen moment. I was so excited. Um, I was expecting it just to be this huge romantic moment and came up and gave me a hug. We got in the car and we just drove away. And I'm like, it's not quite what I thought it was going to be. And then we just kept driving and I just felt like, did that just happen? Like, did seven years just go by? It just felt like we just were going grocery shopping or something. Like, we just stepped back into our life. And as days passed, we started talking about it more. And we kind of gave ourselves a little pat on the back because that's really what we wanted. We wanted just to get up and go on with our life. We really didn't miss time because we had been together this whole time. We put so much work in not allowing that distance to really put an effect on, on our relationship that we kind of just picked up and started accomplishing these goals that we had been setting while he was away. And it was amazing to have you home was just like stepping back into, you know. Yeah, I mean, when you came and picked me up, I got I gave you a hug, gave you a kiss. Bella came running out. You were sitting on the hood like Goodfellas, yeah. right? And then we got in the car and it was like you just dropped me off at work, came back to pick me up. Yeah, I mean, that, 2014, this started. I got out in 2021. Our, our daughter was two when I went and she was nine when I got out, right? And we just jumped right. And it is a testament to the work that we put in and the way we're able to do that. For And I made it difficult for a couple of years of that time. Yeah. The last three years, I was actually contributing to the relationship again. And we were able to maintain that connection and then we got out and you know um we jumped right back into things but it wasn't easy right because why there's fear involved in it you have fear of what i'm gonna do if i'm gonna go back if i'm gonna relapse fear of what happens when i'm gone for too long fear of you know us not it's been so long maybe we don't love each other anymore maybe we don't want to live with each other maybe we're not compatible maybe i was just supporting you just because i felt it was the right thing to do because we had a daughter together there was there still that connection not only the resentment i mean we could we could do a whole podcast just on resentment that comes from addiction you know and so ultimately we had to sit down we had identified these areas we had to use all the different uh, bits of knowledge that we've gained over the years through my path of recovery through all the many i mean i came home you had about 150 books i was so concerned about all these things that pop up in relationships just when you're together but with all these different things that these elements that we had to deal with the addiction all of these things that i couldn't even relate to the incarceration all of these fears that you had um the parenting all of these things i felt like i had to read about and really be prepared for them because i didn't know how i was going to feel sharing my space with someone again i was a single parent i was used to my own just my own place how was i going to get used to sharing decisions and and goals and things like that so it was a big adjustment for me um i think even in this last year we've kind of um evened out and even i was telling you this morning it this last year just felt like a dream and now it's like real life and it's awesome but we we have we're continuing to learn we're continuing to read we're continuing to share our experience and kind of get that 
from other people as well because everyone's had a different experience especially being in the recovery community and every time you speak you invite me and we're able to meet with other people and it's just amazing to hear other stories and kind of incorporate it into ours sure and so right before i got out you actually started working and you work here you run the hr department for sanctuary recovery centers and before that you got a job in behavioral health and you started working at a different treatment facility and running their hr department and teaching groups and working in workforce development and you knew that you wanted to be a part of that because you've seen what it was able to do and you know being of service was not it was so important to me but it was also on your heart too and so you know balance is what we struggle with you know i wanted to make up for seven years in one weekend which i tried my damnedest to do Absolutely. we're going here i need a phone i need a laptop i'm starting a podcast i need to go to a meeting i need to call this guy i need clothes i need to do this you're like hey what about yeah. me right um you know another thing that we struggle with balance related is me wanting to be at because you know in prison for me i was sponsoring 10 guys going to six meetings a week 10 sponsees at all times that's not real life Right. And I didn't know the difference between recovery in prison and recovery out here and in, in, on the streets in real life. Mm-hmm. That's not realistic, right? And so I had to figure out that. And then also one of the characteristics of uh, interdependency, a healthy relationship is shared decisions. I started coming home calling shots. Right. I'm speaking here tomorrow night. I'm going to need this. I'm going to be gone here. I'm going over here and didn't share it. I plan out a whole weekend, not even ask you if you wanted to do anything. Right. And you, you brought that to my attention. Sure did. Yeah. You, <laughs> sure did. Not only the aspect that we have, to, we had to deal with with your family. I mean, it's safe to say they weren't the biggest fans of me in the beginning. Why would they be? I abandoned my family and my daughter for eight years. Their daughter, you know. So I understand that. I tried to make some amends. They wanted to see some action. And today we have a great relationship with them in, in such a short amount of time. Your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, the family in the in California is starting to come around. Um, my parents have been supportive through the whole thing. They're amazing, right? Um, And then we had another baby. We did. Um, I think finding the balance and and you being around such amazing people at Sanctuary and and the groups you guys teach, I think that's the huge part is they have to see someone that's actually done it to find that balance. And I think people in these groups and, and coming to Sanctuary want that. They have so many amazing people here that have accomplished that and they're professional, and they found a career they like, that's what makes Sanctuary different, is that they have so many amazing people that they have as an example. So I think that's kind of what made me get into this field, because I can relate, and I'm always rooting for people to find something that feel passionate about, and then find that balance, because it's such a hard thing, and you've done such a great job throughout the last year, kind of finding what schedule works for you. And I want, you know, two days of recovery and then two days of soccer and then this and that and then finding time for a new baby and helping me. And it's just been such an amazing thing to find that balance that you've... I mean, I think we're kind of finding it. And so... Yeah, it's, I, it's definitely taken a while I to get If I can give rhythm. any suggestion to anyone that's out there that's struggling in a relationship, um, everybody's situation is different. Whether you're already currently in a relationship and it's a lot of damage and trauma that's in that relationship, I'd encourage you to sit down because we can't just get out of rec- treatment. We can't do a 90-day program, get out of IOP, come home and ask what's for dinner. Right. right. I can't go to my parents' house, show up at a barbecue and act like I didn't just 
just steal all their shit, right? <laughs> I can't do those things. So what I can encourage anyone to do is sit down with, the, with that person and identify their fears, identify their resentments and listen to them. Let them share their experience because we might not be able to relate to it. Let them tell you from their perspective. And if you love that person, no matter what you believe about what they're saying, you have to validate their emotions because they're real to them. And so start to work on these things because we can't just, you know, blow it over like it like it didn't happen. And you got to remember 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. They want to see some action. They want to see some consistency. And I always share this with everybody, no matter what. I can't call my family. I can't call you and, and when I'm in treatment and say, oh, I'm doing so good. And I'm working the steps and I'm learning all these things. And then you question me in any way. And I revert back into old behavior and ego creeps in and character defects creep in. Right. And then all of a sudden they're like, see, because everybody's family who loves them and they're in treatment, they're real hopeful. He's still there. He's going to group. He sounds better. He looks better. But dang, he's done this before. They're hopeful. So that first minute we break character and fall back into self-will or that old us or that old behavior, they're going to say, see, I knew it. Right. So be consistent. I identify the fears, identify the resentments, contribute to the relationship instead of take for once. Introduce those five characteristics, joint action, shared decisions, open communication, genuine concern for one another and honesty. But it's a two way street. Introduce those into every relationship in your life and be very particular with the people you let in your circle. Right. And in doing so, you can start as a foundation and build from there and do it together. And today we get to have an amazing life. We had a whole year's worth of goals. I've been out just over a year. We've achieved every goal times five. We're the happiest we've ever been. We get to work together again and in a healthy environment. And we have a new baby and just the sky's the limit for us and sharing this amazing opportunity with you to share our message on the Sanctuary Radio and the podcast. I mean, who would have thought? It does not get much better than this. And I always tell everyone you do recovery because you don't want to feel the way you feel anymore. You're sick of it. You can't do it for anyone else. But you, our daughter, my parents, those are the motivating factors of why we get up and we get our feet moving a little bit quicker every day. And I got a picture of you and a picture of Isabella in my big book from the very first day, the very first time I got that book. And it's been the motivating factor. So when I tell you, you're such a huge part of my recovery and I couldn't have done it without you. It is so true because you are the motivators that help me continue to push forward every single day. And now we get to do it together. So I love you and thank you for being on the show today. 